This is The Defrag. I'm James Parkinson. Until recently, the Nintendo Wii was Nintendo's best-selling home console. Part of its success came from attracting more casual players with motion-controlled games. Instead of pressing buttons on a traditional controller, now you only had to move your body. The Wii has since been surpassed by the current generation Nintendo Switch console, selling over 103 million units worldwide. And Nintendo looks set to recapture some of that casual audience with the successor to one of the Wii's most popular games. If you owned a Nintendo Wii back in 2006, or you knew someone who did, you've likely played Wii Sports. It may have even been the first game your non-gamer family and friends had ever played. So Wii Sports was a compilation of five sport games for the Nintendo Wii, and it was packaged as a launch game. Um, It came with most of the consoles as well, as far as I'm aware. Uh, Essentially, you had tennis, baseball, bowling, golf, and boxing. So using the Wii Remote and the Nunchuck controller in certain cases, you were doing a motion in real life and that was detecting it in the video game and performing that motion. So if you were bowling, you were swinging your arm as if you're bowling a real ball and then it would display on the screen. Same for boxing, you do a punch with your right arm, you punch with your right arm in the game. Stuff like that. Um, It was really interesting and it was a very groundbreaking game because Motion control had never been done that well before and on that level of accessibility to people. Peter Falker is a YouTuber known as Master Trainer Peter, where he covers everything related to fitness and motion-controlled video games. He's also a personal trainer. So how did the Wii and games like Wii Sports differentiate Nintendo from their competitors in, in PlayStation and Xbox at the time? Sony and Microsoft at the time with the PlayStation and the Xbox were doing what I would call a traditional console experience with a button input controller. So if you want to make the video game do anything, you press the button and then it does the corresponding action. Um, Now, Nintendo also had this option with a lot of its games for the Nintendo Wii, but they also had a motion control setup. So you had the little sensor bar that you would set up near the TV and it would use, I believe it's infrared to read your motions essentially. And you would perform the movement in real life and then it would perform it in the game. So it was a very different type of control experience that was really revolutionary at the time. It was very, very different to what PlayStation and Microsoft were putting out. Then you also had Wii Fit, which came along soon after. What was that all about and how did it continue this idea of movement and fitness games for people who, you know, may not be in that traditional demographic of gamers. Wii Fit especially was a a really interesting, almost progression of Wii Sports. Wii Fit also used another peripheral. Now, this is one of the interesting things about the Wii. There were a lot of different uh, additional accessories and stuff that were pretty simple to set up and simple to use. And they had the thing called the Wii Balance Board. So the Wii Balance Board was essentially a platform that you stood on. It could register your weight. It could register pressure going on one side or the other. So you could do things like, you know, like skiing games or you could do balance based games. So really interesting way of creating a more active game because you're using more full body movement. So it really progressed what you can do with a console for fitness games like completely. It was really interesting. Nintendo has always been a company that's done things their own way, and the Wii is the best example of that. 
At a time when its competitors were trying to outdo each other with more powerful hardware, Nintendo went all in on fun and accessibility, but the new audience they'd gained didn't stick around. The Wii sold over 100 million units worldwide, reaching a whole new audience for games consoles. How did Nintendo respond to that with their next console? Um, (laughs) The Wii U was a interesting console because what it seems that they tried to do was was progress from everything that they did with Wii that was so successful so you know you had these crazy different control schemes where the Wii U had a tablet so you can control things on one screen do something like draw on it but what the Wii U kind of failed at in my opinion was their marketing the general public who had picked up the Wii because it was so accessible and it you know it made sense it's controller that you move around with your hands um, and it was you know very easy and relatively low price point in comparison to other consoles they could get into the wii u more expensive and a lot of people thought it was an add-on for the wii not a whole separate console that was my experience um you know like talking to to people who picked up the wii who weren't really uh in the kind of gamer demographic didn't really capture the same audience at all i mean you can see that by the sales numbers um which is a bit of a shame because you know, HD graphics, more interesting technology. They really could have done some cool stuff, especially from a motion control point of view, but unfortunately they didn't quite achieve it. The Wii U sold just over 13.5 million units in its lifetime, the company's worst-selling home console. But lessons were learned, and in 2017, Nintendo Switch marked a comeback. Coming up, how Nintendo Switch Sports might just see the casual gaming audience return. That's after the break. Thanks for listening to The Defrag. Our goal with the show is to build a self-sustaining news brand that dives into and explores the intersection of technology, business, politics, and science. For the defrag to be a true success, we really need your support. We don't want to be reliant on just having to find advertisers, but we do want the core of our content to remain free. Which is why at our website, thedefrag.com, you can support the show by becoming a member of our free newsletter, or you can become a paid supporter. There are membership plans ranging from just $9 a month up to $50 a month, depending on how you want to support the show. And for your support, you'll get a range of different perks, including an ad-free version of the podcast, access to exclusive VIP events and live streams, and we'll send everyone that signs up a sticker pack. You can find out more at our website, thedefrag.com. While the Wii U was deemed a failure, you probably wouldn't have the Nintendo Switch without it. But in terms of games, the Switch combines some of the best features of the original Nintendo Wii, which has seen a revival of fitness and motion control titles. Along comes the Nintendo Switch in 2017, a hybrid console that can be played on your TV or as a handheld. And the Switch has recently surpassed the Wii with over 103 million units sold worldwide. How has it changed Nintendo's audience this time around? Nintendo have really picked up their casual audience again with the Nintendo Switch, which is really fantastic. Like that was part of the thing that they lost with the Wii U 
was the casual audience because they didn't quite understand what it was. The Switch is really easy to understand. It's got motion controls and you can play it handheld, you can play it in your TV. They displayed this really well with their marketing and they've got a huge range of games which you can play which you know are really family friendly and with the motion controls working as well as they do and um, without all the kind of additional accessories that you need for it, you know, you didn't need to set up your, your sensor bar. They've really simplified that motion control aspect. Yeah, as you said, the Switch has that carryover from the Wii with motion control built in. And, you know, how have we seen that feature used this generation? We've seen it reused really well. I think the motion controls on the Switch have been the best that they have been. Like they've they've really one-upped what the Wii could do because the Wii was all pointed on the one sensor. Whereas the Switch uses, I think it's Bluetooth and kind of it's got a little gyrometer in there. So it can detect velocity a bit better. It can detect position really well. And there's just a lot more customizability you can do with it because it's a lot smaller. You know, the Joy-Cons are a lot smaller than the Wii remotes. So you saw a progression of Wii Fit going into Ring Fit Adventure where they used one of the controllers, they used a, a little additional accessory, the leg strap, where you literally attach it to your leg and then if you run on the spot, you run in the game. And you perform a wide range of movements based on the detection between the two Joy-Cons and it's it's really interesting. It's just really it's really, really cool what they've been able to do. Um I think they've they did a really good job making what was good about the Wii making it better with the Switch. And now Nintendo have brought back the motion-controlled sports game with Nintendo Switch Sports. How does it relate to its predecessor on the Wii? So it is literally a successor. Like they they did a kind of a bit of a shifty job doing it at first, but they, with more recent advertising and marketing and trailers, they have really lent into the fact that, hey, this is the sequel to Wii Sports. Nintendo Switch Sports has two of the games from Wii Sports, which is bowling and tennis. It has one of the sports from Wii Sports Resort, which is swordplay, or in this one, it's called Shambara. And then it has three brand new sports as well. So that is volleyball, badminton, and soccer. It's really, really cool. They're using a lot of different motion control aspects as well. So the controls are going to feel the same, especially for those older games. But then you've got a couple of net-based sports with some, some different aspects in there as well to make it more challenging so it's really cool the switch is already nintendo's best-selling home console so how might switch sports help to recapture some of that casual gaming audience from the wii days so i think a lot of people you know back in the day they you know it's, it's very nostalgia based really uh you know you've got people who have fond memories of going to their mates houses and playing wii sports i know so many people who when you say oh yeah have you you know have you seen this nintendo switch sports game and they're like oh not really it's like but you played wii sports right yeah of course i played wii sports and i think nintendo switch sports where they're doing the marketing where they've they've got like the the whole family playing and it's got old people it's got young people they're capturing as many demographics as they can and showing hey you can do you can do the motion controls you can you can play these games that's how I think they're going to get people, and um, especially once the reviews come out and you know you get more gameplay online and stuff, uh, I think people are really going to want to pick it up. One difference, of course, this time around, as you mentioned earlier, Wii Sports actually shipped with the consoles. It was a included game with every console, so it reached over 100 million people given uh, how many units were sold. Switch Sports is a standalone game that you have to buy separately, so... How might we expect uh, Switch Sports to, to sell as a standalone game and, you know, reach the existing player base? 
honestly am expecting it to sell pretty well from from the fact that it is the successor to the Wii Sports games because they're doing a lot of a lot of promotion for this game through social media. They've got you know Nintendo have actually been really good with getting celebrities to do advertising for them uh, over the last few years with the Switch. They've really been kind of looking at relevant celebrities and getting them to to endorse their products. I wouldn't be surprised to see this hit 10 million over the next 12 months. These days, the kind of people that play games are incredibly diverse, all, all different ages and backgrounds. How influential are these more casual sports and fitness games in helping to broaden that audience, not just for Nintendo, but for the whole games industry? I think they're really influential. I think modern gaming, you know, yeah, it is it is literally for everyone now, isn't it? Which is fantastic. Like, I, I love it. There's so many different forms and ways that you can play games. And motion control games are a really simple way to get into it for all able-bodied people. But they make sense on a... I think they make sense on a kind of fundamental and mental level. Like, if you, if you know how someone bowls in real life, you can transfer that over really well. You know, um, the same for, for soccer. You know, you can... If you, if you know how to kick, you can transfer that over as well. So I think that it really captures quite a, a wide range of audiences and people who may not want their kids to sit down and, you know, play games with the, with the standard button controls. They don't want them, you know, jumping onto Fortnite or whatever. You know, they, um, you know, something like this is, is a bit more wholesome, uh, a bit more family friendly, and they can all kind of jump in. I think motion control games have really, really done well at targeting that casual audience. Also making news today. After just 12 months, Facebook is exiting the podcast business. Podcasts were integrated into Facebook last year, but now its parent company, Meta, is turning its attention elsewhere. Facebook's standby its feature and its audio hub will be shut down in the coming weeks, while live audio rooms, Facebook's attempt at a clubhouse-like audio product, will be integrated into Facebook Live. The podcast industry has seen significant growth in recent years with big players like Spotify and Amazon entering the space and spending big on acquisitions. But Facebook's foray into audio has been short-lived and their podcast offering was only ever available within the United States. It would appear that Facebook's podcast experiment doesn't fit with Meta's wider ambitions and its focus on the metaverse. Apple is facing antitrust complaints in Europe for its payment system, Apple Pay. Preliminary findings from the European Commission allege that Apple abused its dominant position in the contactless payment market because the company prevents competitors from developing their own mobile wallets for the iPhone. The Commission argues that because NFC is a standard technology, it should be open to everyone. Instead, Apple blocks third-party app developers from using the iPhone's built-in NFC antenna with their software. The findings are a result of an investigation which opened in June 2020, and it's now Apple's chance to respond to the charges. If the commission concludes that Apple breached antitrust rules, the company may face heavy fines. And lastly today, Rocket Lab has caught a falling rocket with a helicopter. Yes, you heard that correctly. The manoeuvre was Rocket Lab's first attempt to recover one of its electron rockets for reuse. The rockets are designed for launching small satellites into low Earth orbit. They're then guided back through Earth's atmosphere by an onboard computer before deploying a parachute. Once the helicopter hooked onto the rocket, the pilot noticed different load characteristics to what was expected, so released the booster to fall into the ocean, where it was later recovered. 
The successful catch is the culmination of Rocket Lab's three-year plan for recovery of its boosters, which will help cut down on manufacturing costs. The Defrag is a production of Lawson Media. I'm James Parkinson. The show today was produced by me and Christopher Lawson. To stay up to date on the show, you can follow The Defrag on Twitter and visit our website, thedefrag.com, for more. That's all for today. We'll be back on Thursday. Speak to you then. Listener.